and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. If you like today's episode, come to my website, NARC Troopers, where you will find my podcast channel. You'll also find many, many articles about recovery from narcissistic abuse and a video vlog. So come by and visit sometime. The title of today's topic is Imprinting Epigenetics and Generational Curses. Hmm, that's a lot. That's a big heaping plate full of something. So what is the source of cluster B personality disorders? We're going to talk about how the narcissist, sociopath, or antisocial, um, and psychopath are created. How are they born? So I want to begin by sharing something with you I found that really uh, moved me. The man, abandoned by all gods, escapes completely from reality, where he creates for himself another world where he can achieve all the things he wants. He has been unloved and tormented and effectively splits off. That part of himself becomes a guardian angel that sees the suffering or murdered child from the outside. It wanders through the whole universe seeking help, inventing fantasies for the child that cannot be saved in any other way. This is from an article called Notes and Fragments, written in 1949. What powerful words to describe the narcissist. So let's begin with faulting, Im- faulty imprinting and the um, disabling consequences of maladaptive attachment. So we're going to get a little academic today, guys. We don't have a lot of juicy, um, spicy stories, but these are things that we need to add to our library of knowledge about what we're dealing with here. So imprinting is phase-sensitive learning, happens in phases, that um, happens at critical stages of development. (coughs) Excuse me. It suggests that attachment is innate and happens in early childhood where they fix their attention on the first person they have visual, auditory, or tactile experience with. (coughs) Sorry. Um, Lots of allergies today. So that first person that they have visual, auditory, or tactile experience with could be um, parent, guardian, some significant person that's a caretaker for them. And um, when this happens, um, they have a visual, auditory, or tactile experience that follows them, usually, and usually it's the mother that, that does this imprinting. But what if all of the cues and connections are broken? Or maybe they're betrayed by a bonding with an abusive, absent, neglectful, or impaired attachment figure. 
They may fail to learn the things that they need to learn to survive, or they just learn toxic, self-defeating behaviors that sabotage their lives forever. Imprinting suggests that attachment is also programmed genetically, an important factor involved in the formation of attachments appears to be that the child realizes that objects exist when he can no longer see them. This becomes the foundation of object constancy that a person with NPD or ASPD has no concept of. When this object relation does not happen in a healthy way, development is interrupted. When early attachment objects are inconsistent, abusive, or neglectful, the developing individual needs a psychological mechanism that allows them to escape their conflict between the need for the external object and the fear of this external object. <clears throat> In many cases, it is one of the parents, or if the parents are absent, it would be your primary caretaker but they have these powerful mixed feelings because they need them. They need this external object, and at the same time, they fear it because uh, there's something very dangerous, abusive, or toxic happening that's causing suffering and torture for that young child. People with NPD or ASPD have not been able to internalize a good object. Instead, they have internalized a frightening one that offers no comfort. As a result of this, instead of attaching to others in a healthy way, they use defensive coping mechanisms and create idealization in the form of a false persona. This fantasy version of themselves used as a survival skill represses the damaged and shameful authentic self, true self, that inner child that's wounded and abused and it projects it it projects the damaged damaged shameful like true self it projects that onto other people specifically on their significant other so let's talk about the science early childhood trauma plus genetic maladaptive behavior equals epigenetics. Let me give you that little formula again. Early childhood trauma plus genetic mal maladaptation equals epigenetics. Personality disorders are unique in their characteristics, both behaviorally and genetically. Current science explores how the environment modifies and generates gene activity. Yes, our cells are not a fixed thing. They change all the time and they are affected by um, the environment. Epigenetics provides insight into how dysfunction is created and it plays a role in the development of personality disorders, disorders such as narcissistic um, personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, which is your NPD and ASPD, and uh, even antisocial uh, things such as um, sociopaths and psychopaths and things like that. 
Personality disorders can be inherited. Okay, guys, let's think about that. Personality disorders can be inherited. Thus, a genetic link is quite probable. It is suspected. It is out there almost um, consensus 100%. Personality disorders, they are, well, in fact, several genes have been identified to be associated with personality traits, which have been determined by numerous studies in childhood trauma and abuse, also factors into this equation as well when we talk about what is impactful. Um, specifically, research has indicated that childhood maltreatment is marked by DNA methylation of genes that promotes um, glucocorticoid receptors in the synapses of the hippocampus, as well as a sort of a serotonergic pathways. The, those are the pathways that the serotonin, which is a brain chemical hormone type thing that is um, constantly interacting with chemicals like cortisol and dopamine, things like this, uh, and it's your fight or flight. It's your reptile lizard brain, monkey brain, all of that kind of stuff. You know, um, they all interact. These pathways are well known to be crucial in early brain development. These chemicals, the neural pathways, the way that the brain functions. The hippocampus is a structure of the limbic system in the brain and is associated with memory and emotional regulation. If your limbic system is dysregulated, then you are not gonna be able to um, control or regulate or manage your emotional um, feelings. Uh, methylation alterations in people with NPD and ASPD repeatedly affects genes as well. So there is a connection of concern. And what did we say about the methylation? That we said that childhood mistreatment, maltreatment, you know, abuse is marked by DNA methylation of genes. Yeah, let's think about that. Childhood abuse is marked it's, 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 um, by the DNA methylation of genes that promotes certain receptors in the synapses of the hippocampus as well as it regulates the serotonin uh, pathways. Yeah, let's really try to process that because this is important. Um, so methylation alterations in people that have this affect the genes and there's substantial um, pathogenetic impact of gene epigenetic modifications. So the causal effect goes something like this. And I just gave you that equation, but we're gonna review it again right now. The child experiences trauma, which alters their genes through that methylation that we talked about with all the neural pathways, the biochemical things in the brain, all of those things kicking in and, and uh, creating an environment that is changing the genes, um, which alter the brain 
and not necessarily in that sequential order. Some say similar alterations can occur in the womb even if the mother uses alcohol or drugs during pregnancy and interrupts the development of the fetus. Y'all have ever heard of, I mean, we've known about things like um, fetal alcohol syndrome for a long time. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, we were talking about that. Teachers would say, you know, hmm, I think that child may have fetal alcohol syndrome because they do have a learning disability and mom is uh, an alcoholic and, you know, you put two and two together and they have this disability and not functioning well. And a lot of times that was suspect when trying to get to the etymology of why that child could not perform and achieve in school. And so that was a thing a long time ago. Now we are um, zooming in to find that it's a lot more than that that can be impactful. Studies of the brains of cluster B individuals show that people with NPD, they have reduced gray matter volume in areas of the brain related to empathy. Mm -hmm. Using magnetic resonance imaging, that's your MRI, Scientists have measured the thickness of the patient's cerebral cortex. The findings revealed that those subjects suffering from NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, exhibited structural abnormalities in, the, in that region of the brain, which is involved in the processing and generation, manufacturing, you know, of compassion and empathy. Studies have reduced connections between the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Remember we talk about the pre, we've talked about this before, how the prefrontal cortex doesn't stop growing uh, until like a female is maybe 21 and maybe a male is like 24 uh, years old. I mean, it's still forming. And the prefrontal cortex regulates emotions and also impulse control, things like that. The narcissist has trouble regulating their impulse uh, and controlling their impulses. That's why they are reckless and often do things without thinking that seem like things a regular person just wouldn't do. They wouldn't risk it, but the narcissist will because they have this, um, another characteristics they, characteristic that they have is that they have very little fear. They don't, um, if you watch them, they, they don't, uh, seem to feel emotions like fear. So all of these things, you know, the there's ab structural abnormalities in this these regions of the brain, which interferes with certain things like empathy, compassion, impulse control, um, and moral uh, moral judgments where they understand all the. Uh, shades of right and wrong and what that means and all of that. Studies have shown that they have reduced connections between uh, this, this prefrontal cortex and the part of the brain responsible for emotions, including guilt, empathy and guilt, um, and, the, and the amygdala, which regulates fear and anxiety. So like I just said, they have things wrong with the prefrontal cortex, which deals more with impulse control, uh, empathy, and guilt, and then the amygdala, which has more to do with fear and anxiety, which 
the narcissist does not have. They do not have anxiety or fear. Those emotions are missing in a person that is truly a narcissist. So you're not going to see a narcissist going to therapy for anxiety and getting some clonopin or, you know, some kind of benzo or other kind of medication to calm them down and stop them from having panic attacks or, or anxiety because they don't have it. They don't. So what to tell you next? So, okay, let's go back to epigenetics. So we know that the brain, all these, the brain chemicals, the, the actual structural design of the, of, of so many parts of the brain, the hippocampus, the, the amygdala, the uh, prefrontal cortex, and all of that is affected and it is um, causing them to have these deficits um, where they're lacking what the kind of things that regular people have. So epigenetics is the understanding, and here we go, it's the understanding that cells are influenced by their environment. That's what epigenetics is. It's the understanding that your cells, your very, like, DNA cells, and, you know, we've been getting a lot of schooling lately about protein spikes and cells and RNA and DNA and the vaccines and COVID and all that. So I think maybe your awareness has already gone up a couple of notches since the pandemic. Well, here's something else to think about. These cells are influenced by their environment. Yeah, trauma, I went to lay another heavy one on here. Trauma actually causes changes in cellular structure. Trauma causes the very cells in your body to change. That's not just my opinion. That is research fact. One research study put put stem cells into petri dishes containing different environmental substances that they would develop into different things like bone or fat <clears throat> or other human products depending on the environment they're marinating in. They marinate them in these little dishes and those things. And you've heard about this before. You know, they can grow an ear or a nose or cartilage-based um, parts of your body in a dish now and then attach it to your body. But it can be grown in a lab, something that looks pretty much like an ear or a nose and even bone. Um, they can replicate that to some degree with stem cells and all of that. So, um, <clears throat> so they put them in the Petri dishes and then let them marinate. Trauma changes both the person with the personality disorder as well as the victims on a cellular level. This gives birth to the idea that we can decide to change our own cellular chemistry as a result of changing our perceptions and or our interactions with our environment. Yeah, guys, environment matters. Trauma matters. These things change us. They script us. They change us on a cellular level. Could these brain abnormalities, genetic alterations in this, this, these cellular changes in our DNA be passed through families? That's the next question to think about. Things like maternal nutrition, parental age, 
gender and other factors can program a child in the womb. These factors affect the way the parent's genes exist and that can be passed on to the child. It is similar to, um, it's similar to addiction, which causes the reward system in the brain and in the body to change. When you're an addict, everything gets hijacked and you're all jacked up because you're an addict. Whatever you're addicted to, it all works the same way. That's why 12-step programs are exactly the same, whether you're there because you're addicted to gambling, to food, to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, to uh, stealing stuff, to, um, I mean, whatever your addiction is, it's the same 12-step program for all of them because all addiction works the same, regardless of what kind of addiction it is. These same changes in dopamine and serotonin functioning, the way that it functions, these biochemicals and also cortisol, can be passed along. It works the same way. Um, <clears throat> uh, things like anxiety and depression are transmitted from parent to child. And so the only explanation is epigenetic inheritance. Epigenetic inheritance, guys. It can be passed through from the parent to the child. We've known for a long time that a lot of mental illnesses give offspring some predisposition to having that mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar or things like that. But this goes even deeper into talking about your brain chemicals, your neural pathways, the way your brain is hardwired, and the very cellular structure of your DNA. Yeah, this is huge. It's everything. Um, generational curses. Let's talk about that for a second. This is, um, when you think about curses, I think of magic. Um, and generational curses and family curses have been tied to genetic imperfections passed down from parents or spiritual curses placed on ancestors for sins they committed in the past. I think that's the common belief. There is a biblical context, but there's also a more psychological interpretation. So it's both biblical and psychological. It is believed that um, narcissistic personality disorder is an inheritable psychological condition Research evidence indicates that a person is more likely to develop NPD um, if, you know, if there's a medical history of it in their family. So how is that true? Like, is there a chromosome for certain kinds of dysfunctions that, that you can inherit? Um, so if we cannot ascribe these personality disorders to genetics, DNA, cellular changes, biochemical imbalances, and brain disorders, then other causes that are outside the body must also be considered. We're getting a perfect storm here of different things, right? One of my favorite researchers, Sam Vaknin, uh, he reviews the historical evolution of thought following the genetic experiments of the, the Nazis, the Nazi experiments, which led to an external cause becoming the common explanation. Mothers were often blamed as the source of mental illness, atypical behaviors, and maladaptive manifestations in their children, 
in place of other physiological and chemical explanations. That's kind of where that started. All of those horrific experiments that they did kind of came up with this conclusion. But to extend that further, new metaphysical tenets, beliefs, posits, or um, propose um, that these disorders could result from ancestral karma. Yeah, now we're getting all hippy-dippy metaphysical. No, but really, um, from ancestral karma or generational bad voodoo. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the voodoo hoodoo. Vaxnan believes it is a brain disease and a form of psychosis and even a distant cousin of schizophrenia. I've heard him say that more than once. I trust him. I think he knows what he's talking about. He's well-researched. Um, and he knows how to dig deep in ways I don't. So uh, I, I've heard pretty much everything out there. And there's just some people who seem to know what they're talking about more than others. And, and my what I try to do is gather all this information and, and just and like uh, disseminate it to you, like pass it on to you after I've sort of canvassed through it and tried to pick the parts that seem to be the best research and fact-based and not just somebody talking about something they don't know what they're saying. Um, this is all based on research and studies. So psychology, pharmacology, and medicine have created an amalgamation of theories where it's like a potpourri, like a stew or a soup that's all stirred together. This amalgamation of theories about the roots of NPD and ASPD. Society has sought to reduce complex conditions like these into a single etiology. Some functioning, um, some, well, okay, so let me, let me back up and say this. I don't think we can just say there's one cause. I don't think anybody says that. Like, oh, it's the mom's fault. Or, oh, it was genetic and they inherited it. I think you've got a lot of different factors at play here. And the more that they have that they've experienced, like childhood trauma, for example, and an abusive uh, family, and a parent who was a narcissist also, and and then you just keep going. Of course, the more... Uh, things you have, the more the odds are in favor that you're going to develop this. Um, so, let's see, what do I want to tell you next from my notes here? Um, so, scholars, educated men and women, speak of high-functioning narcissists. I can think of a few high-functioning narcissists. Politicians, perhaps. Some would argue that that is not high-functioning, but, you know, yeah, it is. If you can wheel and deal and be a businessman and recover from bankruptcy and continue to gather a large following of people to believe what you have to say, that's pretty high-functioning. Um, and, and so some academics say that, um, that, that when they speak of high-functioning narcissists as being the future success model in the future. Like those qualities of those people who have this disorder possess qualities that are going to take them far in a, in a society that is built like ours. Wow, think about that. It's like we reward psychopaths 
and we follow them and we believe them and we think that they have superpowers or something like make us rich and save us. Yeah, how well did that work out? You know, are you rich? Are you saved? I don't think so. Um, but this whole future success model could be one that is sort of an evolved state of being where emotional thinking no longer factors into a recipe for prosperity or the American dream. Imagine how much a person could achieve who has no remorse, conscience, morals, or compassion. These individuals are often also very good-looking, charming, sexually magnetic, and um, smart, you know? A high-functioning narcissist is one smart cookie, you know? Mama didn't raise any, no dummy. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, so this makes the dysregulated person more equipped to lead um, and all of that because of their dominance and their access to mates. Yeah, their access to mates, that's a thing. You know, the alpha male gets to pick the best female. Their social status, their success, their bank account, all of that factors in in case they they could be an evolutionary adaptation. What? Whoa, what? What? A narcissist could be an, an evolutionary adaptation? Um, they've adapted to a world that is greedy, selfish, um, and focused on material wealth and success without moral, um, moral compass. Okay, so let's move on. Um, okay, I thought my timer was going to go off. Sorry about that little pause. Uh, it's giving you time to think about what I just said and to reflect upon it. Um, so, yeah, evolutionary adaptation. Wow. People with narcissistic personality disorder, sociopathy, and psychopathy have been scripted for pathology since before they were born, maybe, right? There are many forces at play that create an impaired individual who is unable to navigate life as a real and authentic human. It is natural to demonize people who act with such cruel and callous impunity, but they cause, you know, they cause so much damage. You would think that that everybody would just hate them because of all the damage and destruction wherever they go. It's, it's easy to, on the one hand, vilify them and want revenge. You know, the, their poor victims that have been victimized suffer years of trauma-induced CPTSD, and they wish that, you know, that their mentally impaired partner could just feel what they feel and express some kind of mercy or compassion or understanding that, that never comes. It never comes. There's no closure or validation or recognition or accountable with these people. They do not live in this world. And if you think about it, these qualities that they possess can conceivably take them far. Take them far. They can climb that ladder of success pretty well. And I'm not advocating for them because the damage that they do is tremendous. And the lies that they tell make things uh, just a jumble of just a mess. 
you know, these people are ghosts vanished from their own lives. So they must move among us as specters and spirits that um, have no essence or substance. They're imprinted in our hearts and our minds forever. Their maladaptive response to their own pain and torture effectively silenced this helpful, helpless, helpless, powerless, frightened child that they were, who was helpless to, to, and unable to stop the torture. No one rescued them or delivered them from their nightmare, so they shape-shifted into an ethereal, magical creature that could rise above it all and continue to exist in some way. It's a survival technique, and it is um, delusional. It's disconnected from reality. But you know what? If this is the future of our world to be led by people who have these qualities, wow, just think about that for a second. You know, we can see their vulnerability, their fragility, their wounded, broken souls. If we really look close, we can see that, right? And we can try to love them back into wholeness and back into the real world. But you know what? When we try to scoop them up, to scoop them up, all their shattered pieces, it's only going to slice us up. Our hands are cut and our fingers are bleeding with all their jagged, broken pieces. We try to live in their world. Their beautiful, perfect illusion, the shared fantasy, but it cannot last because it's not real. I lived in a shared fantasy with my husband for 15 years, and it was a beautiful place until sometimes it wasn't, and it morphed into like a nightmare, and then it was beautiful again, and there were unicorns and rainbows, and people had wings, and we could fly around and in the sky and sit on the clouds and, and um, you know, <laughs> eat whatever we want and never get fat. I mean, it was a wonderful place this fantasy, um, you know, much better than reality. But there's a dark side to that. There's a reason that they don't live in reality. There's a reason they constructed this place. Oh, it's easy to believe that your narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, partner, whatever they are, some combination of those things, it's easy to believe that they're just like you, that you're both just victims of early childhood lethal wounding and that you may believe you're you're the same and you can help each other and fill in all the blanks and color in all the empty spaces and but you know what you are not the same they turned and left turned to the left and you turned to the right when that happened way back when you were a little bitty kid they went one way you went another way um and what they did to survive does not resemble anything similar to what you chose to do. So in a way, you survived, and in a way, they did not. They've been dead a long time. Perhaps if we understand them, we can forgive them. And if we forgive them, maybe we can let them go. Perhaps we can mend our own broken pieces and achieve wholeness and healing because 
we cannot bring back the dead.